Money FM 89.3. Best of drive time. Money FM 89.3. Good evening. It's now time for Market View. Uh, today we will be taking a look at quite a few international pieces, but first. Closing bell. As always, a quick recap of how we started the day. Well, Singapore shares dipped this morning following a mixed showing in global markets overnight. In early trade, the Straits Times Index inched down 0.1% to 3,312 points after some 42 million securities changed hands in the broader market. Now let's take a look at the closing numbers. The benchmark STI closed up 0.28%. We're looking at 3,322 points. In terms of value turnover, that's one 1.14 billion sing dollars. The gainers outnumbered losers 301 versus 287. Top advances for today we have GMHUSD, UOB and SIA and top decliners New Incorporation USD, Kongguan and CDL. Now in terms of companies to watch we do have Capital Land Investment because it announced the launch of a business park development fund to invest in grade A business parks in India. But how significant is this move really for the firm? Now, meanwhile, from China's slip into deflation and Japan and South Korea's tourism stocks on the rise, we've got more international headlines in focus. And joining us on the line is David Chow, Director of Azure Capital. David, welcome to the show. Hi, Tian Good evening. Good evening. Great to have you on board. And let's start with the Singapore stock market as usual. David, how did the STI fare today? Any surprises when it comes to the biggest movers? I think the STI really uh, took the cue from the weak US closing uh, yesterday. And uh, you, you could see that, you know, from its uh, price opening actions uh, at 9 a.m. I think right now, you know, we are seeing, you know, worries about inflation are creeping in, you know, and uh, with the U.S. CPI report on the agenda tonight, uh, that is something to watch out for. And, you know, having said that, you know, oil prices also touch a nine-month high as well. So with all, you know, that being said, you know, you can't really blame the U.S. markets for closing weaker overnight. David, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Capital Land Investment. They announced the launch of a business park development fund to invest in grade mm-hmm. A business parks in areas uh, and cities in India, you know, prime location ones. How should we look at this? How significant is this? Okay, um, I think for a start, we know that, you know, uh, one of the strategies employed by Capital Land is their asset light strategies uh, to actually go fund under management or FUM for short. So with the land launch of this fund, you know, it's said I think to add about uh six dollars seven hundred million to its existing FUM of around eighty nine billion thing. So, you know, contrast your seven hundred million to eighty nine billion, this is just, you know, point seven percent of a very huge figure. And um, if you look if you do a deep dive uh, you know, capital lens uh, exposure to India is actually uh, a very small three percent. You know, compared to uh, India's neighbor, you know, China, for example, which the company has exposure like 32% of its total assets. And, you know, given how volatile, you know, China has been uh, this year, you know, I think it's good that, you know, a focus on other geographical areas like India, you know, is always welcome. But, you know, in uh, reality, it's not really that significant uh, yet, in my opinion. Let's uh, talk about city development for, for a change. Now, the, the mm-hmm. it posted a 94.1% drop uh, in net profit for the first half uh, end of June, attributing this uh, performance to absence of significant divestment gains. Uh, how concerned should we be for, uh, for, uh, for, for city development? 
I think the uh, market has certainly taken note of this result, but they are not overly concerned. Uh, made for, um, as we know, you know, city development they fell near you know close to two percent today after this result. Mm. So you could see that you know this uh, weak set of results has somewhat be priced in you know into the price, you know since uh, the uh, counter started to fall from the last end of last month. So if you look at the headline numbers, right? Um, well, it uh, fell. The fell in net profit you know, really looks scary, both in terms of percentage and absolute numbers. But we mustn't forget, you know, the results have been uh, swayed by divestment gains, hmm. which are usually one-off, and impairment losses arising, you know, from the proposed right. listing of the uh, these two UK commercial properties, which did not materialize. You know, but due to accounting standards mandate, you know, the relevant amount from these field reads, uh, you know, has to be recorded as impairment. Hmm. So if we strip out the divestment gains and impairment, you know, top line actually grew 48% uh, year on year. Hmm. And uh, I think unfortunately net profit will still be flattish, you know, which is not great in my opinion, but not really as bad as, you know, what the headlines, you know, make out to be. So overall, hmm. if you... Uh, also do a deep dive on uh, city developments, um, you know, fundamentals. You can see that, you know, basically in Singapore, they have basically, uh, you know, sold, you know, you sold units and they would, and they currently don't have any uh, housing inventory left. Hmm. And uh, if you are looking at their residential inventory in China, it has mostly been sold as well. Yeah. And uh, when looking back at this uh, Singapore investment properties, its office and retail rates have all very high committed occupancy. And uh, this uh, optimism can also be brought to its op- hotel operations where, you know, um, its uh, global occupancy, RAFPA have all been improving mm. year on year. Hmm. If you're just tuning in, we're now in conversation with David Chow, Director at Azure Capital. In the meantime, David, let's take a look at what's happening in China. China's consumer prices fell into deflation in July. Factory gate prices extended their declines as well. How concerned should we be and what kind of picture are we expecting when it comes to the US inflation figures due later tonight and tomorrow? Right. I think uh, on China's first, I mean, uh, on China's uh, latest figure, I mean, this is not a good sign. When the world at large yeah. is still dealing with inflation, not that dealing with inflation is a good thing to begin with, but it's yet another signal that the uh, economic activities are still very much uh, weak in China. And um, I mean, to us, Beijing is really fighting an uphill battle in trying to revive an, an economy that has, you know, continued to lose steam. But for now, they have offered more words, you know, than actual actions. Uh, if you look at you know what Beijing has said uh, in recent times, you know, mm. it, you know actually vowed to boost consumption and support you know private enterprises, but stop short of handling out cash to families, you know, or offering tax breaks to businesses. And you know, officers has asked the locals to roll out local government to roll out policies to stabilize the property market. You know, but provided no firm details of it. And um, yeah. I think as long as the market remains unconvinced that the government could revive the mm. uh, economy, any uh, nation rebound in the Chinese uh, shares is you know at risk of becoming yet another false dawn. So if you look at you know the fund flow data that we have over here, we are seeing that actually the U.S. and you know the European long only fund managers were still net sellers of Chinese and Hong Kong shares in July, and you know and may continue to do so. So um, on U.S. inflation, well, I think uh, at uh, Jerome Powell's uh, press conference last month, it you know highlighted you know four key economic data reports 
And you know, tonight we are seeing the second one, and mm. this is, uh, in my opinion, perhaps arguably the most important one, considering that next month's uh, consumer inflation report will come at a time when we are observing, you know, the fast blackout period. Mm. So the expectation is, uh, as of now, is that you know we are likely to see a money increase in CPF of around 0.2 percent for both headline and core readings. Um, you know, translating this to an annual inflation of about 3.3% mm. versus 3% previously. And, you know, core inflation is going to be around 4.8% yeah. uh, as we speak. Okay. And uh, in the meantime, I do need some help with this, uh, mm. David. We do see Japan and South Korea's tourism stocks on the rise, of course, uh, on prospects. And now we have the confirmation that China is allowing group tours to the two countries. Now, two folds or two parts to this question. The first one is, how far will this boost tourism stocks in Japan and South Korea? Okay. And of course, the second part is, to what extent does it benefit China to boost overseas consumption when it's seeing deflation in the country when it has to boost consumption locally? Okay. I think firstly, if, if we just zoom in on uh, South Korea, um, I guess, uh, I think total visitors to South Korea from overseas, you know, if you look at just the June data alone, you know, were about 560,000 and uh, it's actually up from just a mere 228,000 uh, for the same time period last year. So although there has been a sharp increase in overseas visitors to South Korea in 2023, the overall levels are still much lower than pre-COVID uh, pandemic levels. For instance, uh, in June 2019, you know, there were about uh, 1.4 million overseas visitors to South Korea. And specifically, if you look at Chinese or uh, China tourists, uh, mm. there were actually about, I think, 168,000 visitors from China to yep. South Korea in just you know, June 2023, and it's up significantly from 13,000 visitors uh, from the same time period last year. And also, this is still much lower than your 475,000 visitors from China to South Korea in the period of June 2019. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, 759,000 visitors in the same period in June 2016. Mm-hmm. So, um, I will assume, you know, the China tourists to Japan, you know, will follow the same trend as Korea. Mm. And, you know, back to Korea, for us, you know, we look at the number of stocks related to tourism and uh, these stocks are up on average only 5.3% year to date, while, mm-hmm. you know, the broader Kospi index is actually up around 17% year to date. So you could see the underperformance there. Mm-hmm. So with this reopening, I guess, you know, you, you may see a renewed uh, interest in cosmetic stocks such as uh, Emerald Pacific and, you know, LG Household yeah. and Healthcare. Mm. And uh, also, you know, you may also see casino stocks related like Paradise and Grand Korea Leisure, you know, they could also benefit as well. Mm. Okay, and uh, let's wrap up by talking a little bit about WeWork, David. WeWork warned mm-hmm. on Tuesday that there's substantial doubt that the firm will be able to stay in business. How much of a blow will this mean for landlords and lenders in markets like New York City? Uh, I mean, its rival office rental firm, I. IWG seems to be performing well. So your thoughts on that? Okay, I think uh, on the contrasting fortunes between these two players, you know, firstly, this shows that you know, not all companies perform uh, badly when the chips are down, you know, even yeah. when they are in the same industry. And it probably offers fund managers like us you know, a chance to do a long shot you know, of companies in the same industry as well. Um, but to be fair, you know, IWG has, has its fair share of losses in recent years at 
as well. But mm. WeWork, as we know, you know, actually faced a ton of other issues uh, outside of its in- mm. industries. And yep. perhaps the most no- notable issue would be still IPO in 2019. Mm. Yeah. So I think uh, back to companies specific, you know, when I see WeWork, right, I see them actually, uh, you know, they have committed to decades of lease spaces in expensive markets, mm. you know, as it spend millions of dollars outfitting its office communities while relying on short term. Revenue typically typically coming in, you know, increments of months to a year, you know, at a time, and this makes you know we work especially vulnerable to adversity, you know, since it's targeted market groups or you know freelancers and small businesses yeah. can easily scale back, yeah. you know, should you know economic condition become unfavorable. So contrast this with IWG, which has mostly established businesses and firms. clients. That's yeah. right, as a and are, and are relatively less vulnerable. Hmm. All right. Thanks a lot, David. That was David Chow, Director at Azure Capital. Thank you very much for joining us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.